At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Basically, when they start shooting at each other, it's like the pilot has a pistol or a rifle <laughs> and is like taking a shot. He's just, he's whipping out the gun and like doing a drive-by. Yeah. Shooting, yeah. Welcome back to the Random Theory Podcast. I'm Grace. And I'm Josh. And together we host a science-ish podcast, you know. It's science adjacent. Science adjacent. Science adjacent. Yeah, Yeah. You know how it is. How you been, Josh? You know, I've been good. I've been good. Just always busy, but yeah. it's all good. Good I things. Uh, the band was back in the studio. How'd it go? It went great, actually. We, uh, the time we had booked, we'd only, we were only booked for like four hours and we were okay. trying to get two songs done. And we thought like, well, this is, there's no way we'll finish <laughs> two songs. But then yeah. the, our, our engineer was like, when we got there, she was like, so you guys are only booked until two in the afternoon? And, and I was like, yeah, that was, I guess, all you had. And she's like, oh, well, no one has the studio after you. Like, no one's booked and I'm That's not booked. Weird. So if you guys want to just stay. So we stayed quite a bit longer, got a lot done. Nice. We're going back this Saturday. Fun. Uh, to finish up, just just tighten things up and, and do the mixing. We're not releasing new songs yet, although we have plans for that. We've Fine. already got like a we got a roadmap going of of we're gonna put out some Ooh. actually brand new songs. But these are gonna be we're putting out two, possibly three acoustic versions of songs from our of from like the most popular songs from our album. Oh fun. That'll be cool. My big thing was like, okay, I'll do it, but I don't want them to sound like every other acoustic ver- you know, just yeah. like an acoustic guitar. You know, I was like, yeah. I want them to feel unique and like interesting. Yeah. And I think they do. It f- almost feels like its own song. Like it's still oh, ghost cool. story, but it, it's just unique. You know, it has, I played sure. a freaking mandolin in oh. it, which was cool. Yeah. So <laughs> that's pretty neat. That'll, those will be coming out in the next couple months over, like over the course. I think we want to try and get one out in August, but we'll see. That's so it's exciting. Fun. How about you? What, what's you got going? It's all good. Uh, I re downloaded Pokemon Go. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <gasps> I um, 25 playing Pokemon Go in the city of New York kind of fun I'm not of all the lie. things you could have said to me I don't know if that was one I would have expected but yeah you know, I know I feel I'm here like kind of out of left field for me but <laughs> yeah I'm playing Pokemon Go again uh, right on you know yeah. you go through phases and it's just kind of like sure. I don't know you're like oh hey. I'm gonna redownload this game again and like play Pokemon Go and 
I don't know. It's, it's I, kind of I fun. do that all the time. Yeah. 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 So I'm doing that right now, getting my steps in, going for walks, hatching eggs, sure. you know. Now I feel like I got to redownload it. I'm well, like- listen, listen, I think it's a lot more fun when you live in a city. So like when you live kind of in rural areas, it's a little bit weirder i feel like but living in the city it's really fun because you know it has all these different marks and you can go visit them and like spin these different wheels or like the power-ups so you get way more power-ups like literally sitting on my couch i'm in like a hot spot and so i i'm like in between like three different like points where it's like tons of pokemon are and so it's just it's just a lot of fun i don't know i'm just doing my own little thing it's taking me on some fun adventures they now have this like walking feature where you can go on like paths that like people have created and stuff they basically call it like pokemon go adventures or something but it's really fun you sold me on it i gotta redownload it i haven't played it in whenever i don't when did it come out that was the last time i played it so playing in the city is way more fun i've already caught pikachu i've been playing for 48 hours and um so yeah it's been it's been good if you live in a city you should definitely redownload pokemon go because yeah i mean i live in a a small a city it's smaller than new york but it is yeah. a city so i probably should at least see what the the pokemon go scene is yeah there. check it out it's a good time I, I gotta know yeah what's your like your go-to your i don't even what's it called you have like a starter your pokemon your oh i have an eevee and i love her oh okay for sure yeah i've always been an yeah. eevee girl eevee's okay. always been like my go-to i uh also have my phone's charging right now so i can go for a walk after we podcast when did we learn that no. Pikachu evolves? Was that like a like a thing in the Pokemon series where it's like Pikachu evolved? You learned that it evolves and then what's the main guy? Like um Ash, I think is the, yeah, the yeah, dude yeah, yeah. that has he just like forces Pikachu to never evolve and so he's always oh. Pikachu instead of turning into Raichu. It, Pokemon fans out there, don't come at me. I don't. I'm. I'm sorry. I've never. Man, he really held Pikachu back from his full. Uh... I know. I know. <laughs> he clipped his wings. Oh my gosh! But... Have you ever collected a Pichu? A Pichu? No. It's Pikachu before he becomes Pikachu. Oh, I didn't know there was. I thought Pikachu. Was it is the... so cute. It's cuter a than Pichu. Pikachu. But yeah, uh, Pokemon Go. That has been my my work and my passion. You're out getting exercise. Like you're walking around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's one of your passions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're all good on all fronts. Like you're getting your, your enjoyable gaming experience, but also like getting out, getting active. Yeah. All that stuff. Like it's, it's a win-win. It is a win-win. Fun fact, uh, I loved Pokemon growing up, like the TV show. Really? The card really? game never made fun made like sense to me like i just never got into the card game but pokemon go like if it was on tv i was gonna stop and watch or just pokemon not pokemon go but like pokemon Pokemon, in general like when it was on tv i was gonna stop and watch was very invested catch them all my sister's had it on her phone for like since it came out she's just never deleted it she's never deleted it no she you know what speaking of not ever deleting something do you have flappy bird I have Flappy Bird. Shut up. Still. I can't. It's not focusing on my camera. Sorry. But I have the original. I never deleted it. You can't play it. If I open it, nothing happens. <laughs> but I have the. I have Flappy Bird. <laughs> what happened to Flappy Bird? It was the creator of it was just like it got too famous and he was like didn't want it and was scared. And so he decided to pull the app down because it was just like too big 
And it was so literally the best app in the whole entire world. Flappy Bird was yeah. so good. All right, that was the gaming corner. Yeah, sorry. Should we get into some ratings and reviews? Yeah, absolutely. What do you have for today? Just a short and simple one, but I wanted to read it because we always talk about like, hey, you can just reach out and say, hey, you don't have to have a podcast topic or anything. Uh, So this is coming from Justin. Hey, Justin. And just says, this is my first email I ever wrote. (gasps) Just wanted to say hi, like your podcast, bye. (laughs) Fantastic. Justin is straight to the point. No waste of time with that one. No waste of time. I'm glad your first email ever was to us. Thank you for sending us an email. That's so cool. That's huge. That's huge, Justin. We appreciate it. Thanks, Um, Justin. Hey, hi. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks. Glad you liked the podcast. Thank you for writing in. Yeah. It was a super efficient email, so love that. Love when it's Uh, straight to the point. That's totally fine. If you don't have a podcast topic, but you want to write in, say hi, write in, say hi. That's great. Or if like we talk about something and you're like, oh, I want to weigh in on this. Like, let us know like your thoughts on Pokemon Go and all that good stuff. What do you got from Apple Podcasts? From Apple Podcast. Wow. Don't know where that came from. This is from T-Man121397. He's not a stranger here. Uh, And they said, podcast idea and a joke. They gave us five stars. Thank you very much. They said, I'm back. I love this podcast. It's part of my Monday morning. Since my last podcast idea about cars was great, here's another one. What is the Mm. evolution of planes and their effects on World War I and World War II? And a joke. What does the hammer say to its friends? What? Nailed it. Classic dad joke. That is a classic dad joke right there. Yes. So uh, T-Man, thank you for writing in again. The Cars podcast ended up being a huge hit. How to Cars Car. If you haven't listened to to it, make sure you go and listen to it. Literally, all you have to search is How to Cars Car. And this is Planes. Planes. And World War I um, and World War II. Didn't we do a podcast on flight? Like just basic planes? Yeah, like how does a plane fly? Yep. It was just like just the basics, but yeah. this is more of like history wise and what what it did. Yeah, how they've evolved and how the science changed. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, let's hop into how hot air balloons were basically the first oh airplane right after this commercial. Oh. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So hot air balloons actually have been deployed by the military for more than a century to get a bird's eye view of the battlefield. So this happened oh. during like the Civil War, but the fixed wing airplanes of World War One were able to fly deep behind enemy lines and detract troop movement and map the terrain. Have you ever been in a hot air balloon? No, it's on my bucket list. In the area where I grew up, it's not in the exact town, mm-hmm. but it's in the area. There is every year they do festival. Festival. Yeah. I love that. So they have like they shut down the main street of this little town and have a ton of hot air balloon people come and like set up their balloons and and light them at night. We had one of those in my hometown, too. Really? Yeah. It's like the biggest one on the East Coast. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. See, so how if both of us had that in our upbringing, how have we never managed to be in one? I don't I know. Don't know. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really interesting that they would use hot air balloons to basically get a map of like yeah. what was happening in the air or what not what was happening in the air, but like what was happening behind em- enemy lines. Right. And you know, what I think is really interesting is that planes have a very interesting strategy in World War One. They become more impactful in World War Two, but in World War One, they were used for mapping. Like p- they would take people up to draw pictures. Oh, interesting. Basically, of like the battlefield okay. and what it looked like and where their enemies yeah. were and like where they were moving and like that kind okay. of stuff. Uh, at the start of the First World War, isn't that so crazy that we've had like two world wars? I don't know. To me, that's just like <laughs> really crazy to think about. So, at the start of the First World War, aircrafts like the BE 2, which basically just looks like kind of like the Wright brothers plane, but like it's a it's biplane, it's got two wing, the double, yeah, the double stack wing. These were primarily used for reconnaissance. That's like what you were saying about like uh, surveying the oh, land. Oh, recon. And, yeah, recon. Yeah. Due to the static nature of trench warfare, aircrafts were the only means for getting information beyond enemy trenches. So they were essential for discovering where the enemy was based and what they were doing. Digging a trench takes a minute, y'all. Sure. <laughs> so at the start of World War One, reconnaissance planes were such a novelty that enemy pilots would literally wave at each other as they crisscrossed the front lines. Oh, wow. Okay. So like they, they would just be up there in the air and just be like, hey. Well, I, I assume because they were just for reconnaissance. Yeah. There's no harm, no foul up there. They weren't. Yeah. They're not up there like shooting each other. So it's just they're all just chilling. Yeah taken in the land yeah you know yeah but it wasn't long before the strategic importance of spy planes snuck in uh Mm. and then there was a burning desire to shoot the enemy aircraft out of the sky well what a turntable of uh turntables you know how the turntables right there Yeah. yeah So these early aircrafts, uh, they weren't fitted with radio sets, but messages about enemy troop movement needed to be communicated quickly. So pilots would either drop messages in weighted bags or use message streamers to drop messages to the forces on the ground, which is interesting. Wow. So mm-hmm. a plane would fly over and just like throw a potato sack out. Basically, yeah. With a with with like a, a note that said, Hey, these guys are over here. Yeah. Go or there. they would like throw something down that had like a giant tail on it, essentially. Right. Um, so that they could find it. Which makes more yeah, I mean that would be easier if it had like a big streamer. Yeah, they were thing. like red or yellow or blue yeah. and it was a way for them to communicate. So Okay. Aerial recon or reconnaissance was actually a pretty dangerous job. So taking photos of the enemy position required the pilot to fly straight and level so that the observer could take a series of overlapping images. And this made them basically an easy target because they had to fly like these planes aren't like flying super high in the air like they're flying low and steady. And so this made them an easy target for the people on the ground to just like open fire on them. If you think about photography at the time, I mean, you're not like nowadays you can snap a photo in a second. Yeah. But back in the day, taking a picture was not a quick task. So and, And so, yeah, I mean, they would have it would have to be the most controlled flight, you know, can't move too much. Otherwise, the photo is just going to be a blurry mess. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah, that is interesting. So like. 
for a while it was fine. It was just kind of like, okay, hey. And then they were like, wait, why don't we just shoot these down? Sure. Yeah. And then it gets even crazier. So then you get air to air combat. So throughout 1916 and 1917, aerial warfare developed from lone fighting to ever larger formations of aircrafts and patrols. So patrol leaders would try to give themselves an element of surprise by positioning themselves above the enemy before attacking. Mm. And at this point, the formations would break up into individual dogfights or air aces, as they would call them. And okay. they were celebrated as heroes and used for propaganda by their governments essentially right on (laughs) real quick because it was just mentioned there really great world war ii movie is called 1917 Mm. and the whole movie is made to be like it's one continuous take it obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't but it looks like it is when you watch it it is so good it's fantastic i'll have to add it to my list yeah also dunkirk by christopher nolan Yeah, I think it's so crazy how like this evolved. So they went from basically like just collecting intel to flying above their enemy and like being in these formations. And now we're like killing people out of the sky. So in early skirmishes, slow moving recon planes would take pot shots at each other with service pistols and rifles. So keep in mind, like these planes aren't like, like these are little prop planes, if you will. These are not your giant like planes that we're going to get in World War II. We're still in World War One, where like basically when they start shooting at each other, it's like the pilot has a pistol or a rifle (laughs) and is like taking a shot. He's just, he's whipping out the gun and like doing a drive by. Yeah. Shooting, yeah. So then ground crews started mounting machine guns on the front of the observer's position, but they were really hard to aim around the propeller wing and struts. Because, like, remember, you're basically in between. You're, like, sandwiched in between, like, two wings. And also, like, how are you going to shoot a machine gun through the propellers without the bullets ricocheting off and, like, hitting you? Right. But they did do something to fix that. They did. So there was this breakthrough invention that was called the interpreter gear or synchronization gear, which allowed the front mounted machine gun to fire a continuous barrage of bullets safely through the plane's rotating propeller blades. So all pilots had to do was aim the nose of the plane at the enemy and fire. I mean, it also makes sense. I think there's a really good slow-mo guys YouTube video where they demonstrate they have like a propeller and they, they shoot a bullet through it. And I, I think, I, I haven't watched it in a really long time, but I think it has this synchronization gear. So they show mm. like literally the precision of the second that propeller moves and a space is open, a bullet goes through the, the open space. It's so interesting um, to me. World War One was a very unique, unique time for planes. We're going to talk about the pilots of World War One here in a second. But like World War One was unique in the fact that they were just figuring out that like you don't have to march up to one another like we did in the Civil War. Right. It's that weird crossroad. Like it's literally it's the crossroads of old war. Like, yes. yeah, like the, the, the let's all stand in a line with our cannons. Yeah. And then march into each other. Yeah. And then like new war where it's like we have all these tools and we're going to be really strategic and like we don't have to meet each other face to face and just like kill each other that way. Yeah. And um, planes were basically the first step towards that. Can you imagine being like 
you know, thinking back like World War One, you know, people were drafted from all over. Can you imagine being some dude or whatever that grew up in like a rural part of the country was not didn't you know didn't have yeah. the news the the breaking news of like oh we invented a plane and right. then they go to war and one of these things like flies over you and you're insane. like insane you're like what, what is that <laughs> like it's not a bird um, what is that how is that flying? yeah what is this giant thing like, it's crazy and like the other thing that like i think about is that the like there was no pilot school they were literally right. just throwing kids right. in these things and they were like, figure out how to fly it. See what, yeah, what's the, someone figure out what works best. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's totally, yeah, that's totally true. I mean, the first, the first couple, I mean, a lot of people died, I'm sure. Cause yeah. They had to. World War One was weird in that way where it was like everyone was just kind of figuring out, like, how do the we be- do war now? How do we fight one right. another? Right. What does war look like? Which yeah. like. And it's weird because I feel like, and I'm I'm saying this like hypothetically, and I hope it never ever happens. But I think we would be in the exact same place now because it has been so long, you know, since World War II. I mean, we've had yeah. things in the Middle East and whatever, but there's not been like a full scale war. I think if we and went so th- to like a World War Three, I think we're still too close to like the atomic age. Where there's like you have that whole conversation. So it's like I think you're too close to the atomic age. And I also feel like we're in a place where, you know, the war doesn't have to necessarily be fought by humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, and that's the thing is I think we're in a place now even more so where, you know, there might still be humans involved. But it's like we're even we're even more removed from the humans on the front lines of a battlefield like every you know everything can be even more planned and even more removed Mm -hmm. and you know planes drones all the stuff that you yeah i I, it's just different Um, it's very different so for pilots you had like the red baron of course um he was like the very very well-known one his name was manfred von richthofen the red baron yeah, he was born into a Persian family in 1892, served in the German army on the Western Front, and he transferred to the air service in 1915. And he okay. became the highest scoring ace of the war with 80 official victories and was later given the command of the Flying Circus, which is a unit mm. that's compromised of Germany's elite fighter pilots. And then he was unfortunately killed in action on April 1918. And then was buried right. full military honor. He's definitely the most well-known. You know, I feel like if you're like, name a pilot, it's the Red Baron. Yeah. Like, I think about him and I think about, like, Charlie Brown, you know, where Snoopy <laughs> sure. is, like, on... <laughs> Snoopy's uh, the Red Baron? Yeah. He, Snoopy's the Red Baron. Like, that's immediately, yeah. like, the first thing that, like, comes to mind. And sure, I remember, yeah. like, asking my dad, like, who was the Red Baron one time? And he was like... I really don't know. I know he was like a pilot, a fighter pilot, but yeah, I think that's that's the number one. He was a German World War One fighter pilot, which but. is crazy. Yeah. So for the first time, planes took to the air with express purpose of air to air combat, and the French began calling any pilot who shot down five or more enemy planes and eyes. Or an ace. And while these aces had no shortage of skill and daring, the winners of most early dogfights were pilots flying in better technology. Sure, which that makes sense. I mean, the better yep. the plane, you're probably going to do better in a in a dogfight. 
During the First World War, airplanes were developed to carry out specific functions. So fighter airplanes patrolled the skies, recon planes observed the enemy on the ground, and bomber airplanes attacked ground troops. And aerial darts were used by both sides to attack infantry and cavalry formations on the ground. And these metal darts were about 12 centimeters long, and they were usually dropped in bundles from airplanes as a method to ensure a wide dispersal. So not only were they shooting each other in the sky, they were literally dropping metal darts on one another. Right. Over enemy lines. Right. In these trenches where there's nowhere to run or hide. Yeah. Pretty wild to say the least. Yeah. So now we roll into World War II. Okay. World War II rolls around and we go from these really slow airplanes that like can't do anything really in World War One. besides, you know, you can throw things out of them. You might be able to fight yeah. each other a little bit and they're not very dynamic. They're not made to spiral and do these crazy tricks and like be maneuverable. So now in World War II, we have a single seat fighter airplane with machine guns on its wings for shooting down enemy aircrafts in the sky. Like... We have now mounted guns to airplanes. Right. We (laughs) built a plane with the sole purpose of doing one thing. Yes. And that's to shoot other planes. Yeah. The Spitfire's design continued to be developed during the Second World War to make it faster and more powerful. And it became the most famous plane of the Second World War, particularly after its success in the Battle of Britain. There is a whole character in Dunkirk that is flying a Spitfire plane. Yeah. During the entire movie. That's it's a very thing, so. iconic looking plane. You, like yeah. you like it's what you imagine that they're flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you think of like old war plane, yeah. you're thinking of a Spitfire, probably. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's not a biplane like the old World War One things were. Yeah. It's 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 more aerodynamic. They can make more maneuvers and things like that to to dodge and yeah. and better position themselves for fighting. Well, this is really interesting in World War II because we no longer have just like a set of planes. It's like there's a fighter aircraft, a bomber aircraft, a jet fighter, right. rockets. Like they broke everything down and gave everyone and everything a very specific job. So the B-29 was the super fortress and it was the largest allied bomber of the second world war and it had a pressurized crew compartment which this is really big like it had a pressurized crew compartment which meant that the crew no longer had to endure sub-zero temperatures on long-range bombing missions this is actually important for you and i as passengers on planes Right, right. If yeah. they I had mean, not figured out how to pressurize a crew compartment, we would not be able to fly long distances. We would all have to wear sub-zero suits flying yeah. on planes. Yeah, because it's we would freeze yeah. <laughs> on Literally. a long journey. Yeah, yeah. So these super fortresses dropped the atomic bomb on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's like right. what they're very much known for. Right. The B-29 was the go-to bomber plane. Yep. And then you had your jet fighter planes in World War II. And the German Mi-262 was the world's first operational jet fighter. It was far faster than propeller-driven aircrafts and was capable of maximum speeds of 559 miles an hour. Wow. You have to, like, this is huge. Yeah. 
Like, this is huge. Having this advantage of a jet fighter, like, these are, like, if you think about, uh, like, Top Gun. Like, that's kind of what yeah. what these are. Right, right. The the beginnings of... Oh, yes. Very much the beginnings. That was the f- world's first operational jet fighter, which is okay. crazy. So, in April of 1944, the same month, the first British fighter aircraft the Gloucester Meteor became operational. And this technology meant that aircrafts could fly faster and higher than ever before. So that was saying the Germans developed one first. Yep. But at the same time, British allies also developed a fighter aircraft. Yeah. I mean, you have to Uh, at that point, right? Well, sure. Yeah. If Germany has one, we got to have one too in World War II, obviously. That, those were the two sides of the war. They were. And I think it's like super interesting too if you think about it because you know how like when these planes crash, like say Germany had a plane, like a jet, jet or a fighter jet crash in enemy territory. Yeah. They basically had crews go in and steal all the information on board. Like they still do that today where it's oh, like yeah. if something oh, goes yeah. down in enemy territory, like there is there are people there to get make sure all the information and like technology gets off. And I think that has to do in part because of, you know, like maybe the, the British weren't close, but all of a sudden like one of these jet fighter jets went down in British territory and it's like, oh, that's how they did it. Like you get all this like new yeah. information and technology. So I think it's just like really interesting yeah. in how this like all like works together. Yeah. I mean, it is a big deal even t- still today. I'm sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a big deal if one of your planes goes down behind enemy lines, because at that point, the cat's out of the bag. You've lost whatever little if you had some little advantage. Well, now they know and they can yep. reverse engineer it and make their own. So I think I I feel like I've heard and I I can't I'm not I don't have like 100 details on this or anything, but I feel like I've heard like when that happens, even still today. But back then, I mean, it was a priority to be like, oh, this plane crashed. Get another plane in there to bomb the crap out of it so that they can't steal the information. They can't. There's nothing left to recover, basically. I think it's I mean, it's crazy because like you have these jet fighters, you have these bomber yeah. aircrafts and like you now we're specially training people. So you got a fighter aircraft and now sure. we have rockets, rockets, which like we're not going to talk about like how also they ended up with an atomic bomb. But like rockets in the Second World War were actually mm-hmm. huge. Like, it wasn't just dropping bombs. It wasn't just doing X, Y, and Z. Like, there were rockets that were, like, the first long-range ballistic flying missiles. Yeah. it's Which is crazy to think about. So, it was the German V-2 rocket, and it was the world's first long-range ballistic missile, which means flying missile. And it was armed with a one-ton warhead, which caused considerable loss of life and damage when detonated. You want a, a sweet little fun fact about the German V2 rocket? Yeah, tell us. I th- I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast that I did, but the engineer, the lead engineer for the German V2 rocket was a guy named Werner von Braun. And after the war, he actually came to the United States and became the head engineer at NASA oh. and was the uh, lead rocket engineer for the Apollo moon missions oh so uh yeah the guy that developed the german v2 rocket that was used by the nazis in 
World War II. That's crazy. Went on to be a NASA head engineer for the Apollo moon missions. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the V-2, it heralded both a new age of rockets and missile technology, and it basically started the arms race between the superpowers with both the Soviets Mm -hmm. and the U.S. And like you said, it used German scientists. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, those German scientists, and then everybody, obviously, once one one of those superpowers has this tech, everyone's got to have it. Everyone's got to have it. Speaking of tech, World War II was so innovative with takeoffs and landings of planes. So developed in the 1960s, the Harrier was the first operational fixed wing aircraft to be capable of VTOL, which is vertical takeoff and landing. VTOL. VTOL. And it was nicknamed the jump jet. And this plane literally takes off and lands going straight up in the air like a helicopter right right doesn't need an airfield can land in anywhere it was mostly used on aircraft carriers like ships because you know taking off of ships was sketchy and yeah scary. oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> like, yeah so this just made it safer but i just think it's so insane like vertical takeoff and landing if you've ever watched a video it's so wild it looks like it shouldn't yeah. even make sense I mean, now there's the various like carrier, like giant carrier things that have the propellers that like spin up and down. But there's even like uh, fighter jets that can VTOL now Mm -hmm. um, that'll like take off vertically and then switch and can fly, you know. So also like when you think about it, yeah, it totally makes sense. Like that's a great innovation that they don't need a giant runway to uh, take off and land. It's wild. And in World War II, aviation became a crucial weapon of modern warfare. Uh, I mean, from the Battle of Britain to dropping atomic bombs on Japan, much of World War II was actually fought in the skies. So the investment in aircraft technology during this time drove the aviation industry in general forward in leaps and bounds, paving the way for modern aircrafts used in passenger operations today. Like I talked about, like aircraft pressurization. Yeah, that's huge, huge innovation that we still use today that we, you know, everyone that flies in a plane utilizes. Although there had been experimentation with pressurization prior to World War II, it wasn't until that demand of war really pushed the boundaries of technology and it came into its own. So in 1943, the Constellation, which was made by Lockheed, became the first widespread airliner with pressurized cabins. And Mm. that was followed by aircrafts like the DC-6 and DC-7, which laid the path for the cabins that we fly in today. So shout out to World War II for... uh, air travel you know it's so yeah i mean it's so weird like you know it wasn't until the demands of war that we really pushed the boundaries of technology it's always that way it it, well yeah i mean there are so many specifically like i think with world war one and but even world war two there's a Mm -hmm. lot of like manufacturing innovations that came about because they were manufacturing a large amount of weapons and ammunition and things Mm -hmm. at great volumes Mm mm-hmm But yeah, it's such a weird thing that like so much innovation happens during this this time of war. It's insane. Because, you know, on the on the other side of that, you know, I mentioned the Apollo program. Yeah. With uh, the Werner von Braun guy, because there were tons of uh, scientific and like engineering breakthroughs that happened during that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's it's not necessarily like 
specific to war. It's just the country and the government coming together on something. And that's what drives these innovations. Yeah, I completely agree. But that's uh, planes and how they shaped World War One, World War Two, and today. Absolutely wild. I mean, clearly massively uh, influential in yep. war. Uh, if you're a little dude with a gun on the ground <laughs> and a and a plane, a giant plane is flying overhead, that's going to be quite the difference. Quite, quite, quite the difference. T man, thank you for for yet another vehicle one he's clearly got t-man's got got a uh, he's got a thing for vehicles clearly i'm here Um, for it everyone's got a passion speaking of that uh we do need to i just remembered because t-man brought it up we need to do the uh part two of the car thing and talk about evs electric vehicles Oh, we do yeah you guys if you want us to do an episode on electric vehicles leave us a uh, comment rating review send us an email and we will do it yeah, make sure to hop onto that Apple Pod, leave that rating review because it really helps the podcast out. So does making sure your downloads are on. So does yeah, make sure those downloads, make sure you're subscribed so you get those downloads immediately when we put it out. Immediately. Then you don't have to come search for us. It's just right there for you to listen it's to. It's just yeah, it's right there. It's easy. We're trying we're to make there. your life simple. That's what that's what we're all about. We're just trying to help you. You know, Simplicity. we are helping you. In this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, if you don't have Apple podcasts, but you still want to say, hey, you can send us that email at randomtheorypod at gmail.com. Sounds good. See you later, science right. pals. Bye, everyone. Bye.